Welcome to Specs Speaks Science, the scientific podcast hosted by scientists and industry experts. From highlighting the hidden chemistry in our everyday lives to discussing relative industry topics, Specs Speaks Science looks to deliver informative content to the scientific community. With that, please enjoy this installment of Specs Speaks Science. Hello, welcome to our episode of Specs Speak Science. Today we actually have a special guest. Uh, Rob Thomas is the principal scientist of Scientific Solutions. He's a part of an educational consulting company and he serves the trace element community. And over the last few years, he's become very involved with the cannabis industry. So he has a lot of experience working with uh, committees like ACS or and working with USP. So now he's dedicating that to working with the cannabis community. Thanks, Rob, for joining us. Hi, Patty. Good afternoon, everyone. Yeah, um, I have an interesting uh, introduction to the cannabis industry. Let me give you a little background. I worked 25 years for Perkin Elmer Corporation, who, as you know, uh, one of the uh, one of the big three analytic instrumentation companies. And I took early retirement in early 2000s, and I got into the world of freelance science writing. Probably my um, my best known um, publication was a 15 part tutorial series on ICPMS, which was published in Spectroscopy Magazine. That kind of put me on the map. And as a result of that, it led to my first textbook, A Beginner's Guide to ICPMS, in 2004. Um, since then, that has led to two more editions, but on the way, I got lots of interest in writing about ICPMS, particularly for novice users and beginners who didn't understand the technique very well. Um, it eventually took me into the pharmaceutical industry um, where I was the heavy metal leader of the task force at the ACS Reagent Chemicals. And we supported United States Pharmacopeia when they were going through their regulations for elemental impurities in drug products. And the ACS was one of the expert panel members who contributed to the methodology to change the heavy metal test from just monitoring one heavy metal lead using a colorimetric sulfide precipitation test to eventually monitoring 24 elemental impurities. So the ACS had a big role in changing those regulations. So during that time, which took in excess of 15 years, I got to work very closely with the United States Pharmacopeia. And I realized that uh, as they were going through the process of bringing in meaningful and sensible elemental impurity regulations, um, the pharmaceutical industry were in a way kicking and screaming because they had not been mandated to monitor more than one heavy metal before that. So it became a process where eventually USP aligned with what ICH was doing in Europe and Japan. And a consensus came forward in January of 2018 um, with the ACS as one of the prominent members of that panel to bring in these three new chapters, chapter 232 for elemental impurities in drug compounds, chapter 2232 for heavy metals 
in dietary supplements and chapter 233, which was the plasma spectrochemistry methodology plus sample digestion and validation protocols. And it was only during that time did I realize that um, here was an industry that was now highly regulated and um, it took them over 15 years to get to that point. But then it was suggested at that time that I take a look at the cannabis industry because they were in desperate need of help. There was a young industry, but they did not have a good understanding of sources of heavy metals in their entire manufacturing process. So I was reluctant to do this, having just finished uh, another book on elemental impurities in pharmaceuticals. So um, I decided that I would um, talk to lots and lots of people and see if I could help with um, explaining these heavy metals in a little more detail and probably giving them some direction about what they should be doing. When I started talking to folks in the cannabis industry, I realized that here was an industry that was chaotic, it was exciting, but it was in desperate need of help with regard to heavy metals in cannabis and hemp consumer products. So at that point, I decided that I would dive straight in that was about three years ago, and for the past three years, I've been learning the cannabis industry, educating myself on how they work, um, and writing a book on the topic, and currently giving lots of talks and lots of publications how best to approach this problem. So, Rob, I know that uh, USP 232 is meant for pharmaceuticals, and then there's also the version for nutraceuticals. Do you think the cannabis industry should be following the 232 or do you think it should be following the regulations for the for the um, nutraceuticals and, and the other, um, you know, nutrient products, basically? Yeah, um, I've been asked that many times, Patty. I, I think it's fair to say that because of the fractured nature of state based regulations, there is no consistency of what is being used. Some states use chapter 232, some states use chapter 2232, some states use limits for cosmetics. Um, there's no consistency out there whatsoever. And uh, I talk about this at great length um, to people who will listen to me, is that state-based regulations are a mess, are an absolute mess. Um, so if you look at chapter 232, which is intended for drug substances and drug formulations, um, pharmaceutical manufacturers have to monitor up to 24 elemental impurities based on the elemental contaminant and based on the likelihood of finding it somewhere in the manufacturing process. But the problem is those 24 elemental impurities all have a classification, which is the likelihood of finding them in the manufacturing process. There's class one, class 2A, class 2B, and class 3. And based on whether the delivery or, or, the, or the mode of administration is oral, a parenteral, uh, inhalation, or transdermal will dictate what elements need to be monitored. Now, if you look at chapter 2232, that was intended for dietary supplements and nutraceuticals. Now, when those are regulated, um, the guidance they took was from the American Herbal Pharmacopeia, who only had four heavy metals in their list. I'm not too sure why, um, but I think that's the guidance they took. And 
the cannabis industry, which at the moment is regulated by individual states, there's no consensus about what is the best approach. And I think it's fair to say that some of the earlier states that uh, that legalized cannabis uh, took their list from the American Herbal Pharmacopeia list of the big four. And then as various states came on board, they just duplicated what the previous states had done. So there was no consensus and there was no thought about whether the, the, the elemental panel should be expanded. There was no there was no reference to the pharmaceutical industry, which had gone through 15 years of carrying out comprehensive risk assessment study to find out which elements were worthy of consideration. So um, I'm not too sure that answers your question, but it's a hodgepodge of regulations which the cannabis industry have adopted for their own use. So it almost sounds like um, I, I know the the pharmaceutical industry is is basically covered under these two these two regulations, but it it almost sounds like in cannabis it has to be um, somewhat product focused as well. So not all products are going to necessarily need the scrutiny of of two thirty two, and and some products might need it. Products that are used for in a medical way, or maybe extracts that are used in a pharmaceutical way would need a different level of, of regulation than something else. And then, you know, I know you're very acquainted with vapes. The, there's that whole other issue about delivery systems and those also needing to be controlled. Well, yeah, I mean, I think vapes is a, is a separate topic, Patty, but I think it's important to emphasize that uh, USP have just published a draft monograph for CBD to be used as an API for for a federally approved pharmaceutical, for for a federally approved drug formulation. So in other words, this is CBD that's manufactured for a drug like Epidiolex, which is uh, CBD um, used for childhood seizures. And there are other CBD-based drugs in the FDA pipeline. But what the USP is saying for those drugs, for CBD, for those products, they have to comply by monitoring up to 24 elemental impurities, where the vast majority, I would say 99% of all other CBD that's manufactured in the US is manufactured for quote-unquote medicinal purposes or for adult recreational use. And because they're regulated by the states, they only have to comply uh, by monitoring up to four heavy metals. So you can argue that the vast majority of CBD that's produced for today's marketplace is not going to be pure enough for CBD that's required for FDA-approved drugs. And I believe that eventually the CBD market will separate into two categories, one which is the highest purity that's required for federally-approved drug formulations and CBD that's used for all other products. Do you see that happening with some of the other uh, active ingredients uh, in cannabis, some of the other cannabinoids? Yeah, um, but again, um, the, the USP is the is the organization which set, which sets the directives for regulations. Uh, so I know based on this um, this draft monograph, which was out for public comment, which expired at the end of March, which I which I did send in a a whole bunch of my comments. Um, 
So if that gets approved, that goes into the US PNF, NF, um, uh, uh, as a record of quality attributes for CBD that's being used in a federally approved drug formulation. Um, so depending on what the drug formulation is used, and there's, and there's not many of those federally approved drugs, CBD drugs out there at the moment. Um, Epidiolex is one by GW Pharmaceuticals or Jazz Pharmaceuticals as they, as they are now. Um, Avatrix is another, uh, is, is another drug company that's making a CBD based drug. Um, and there are some other ones in the pipeline. I know that, um, I know that GW Pharmaceuticals are making a CBD and THC formulation for MS spasticity. So that's going through the pipeline at the moment. So those drugs will require the highest purity CBD. And the USP is telling the industry that you need to comply by showing compliance up to 24 elemental impurities. And I think, I, th I think that's important. And we've no, we, at this moment in time, we don't know whether USP will come out for equality attributes for CBD that's used for full or broad spectrum use. We don't know. And if they do, we've no idea if that will be complying with USP chapter 232 or maybe complying with chapter 2232. We've no idea at the moment. So you made a good point before when we were talking about the origins that the original regulation for the USP was over 100 years old before they decided to change it and that it was only lead. And then I remember those years of it being open to debate and to comment. And this was the pharmaceutical industry, which was very well versed in how to test for a, a variety of, of different analytical targets. And they were also fairly well off when it came to money to spend for research and for testing. How do you think that's going to translate when it starts being pushed into the cannabis industry, which notoriously has gotten a reputation for being a little slow to take on regulatory challenges? And often they complain or, or plead poverty in some cases when it comes to trying to do good science? Well, I, I think you bring up a very important point. Um, it wasn't until the big stick of the FDA came along to the pharmaceutical industry did they agree to expand their list from one up to 24. But um, in, in, in the interim period when they were having having discussions with the ICH in Europe and Japan, um, which were which were really saying we should be monitoring more than 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 one, and you know, the the USP original list was just fifteen. So they went from a qualitative test using sulfide precipitation for a small group of heavy metals, mainly lead, and then their first uh, their, then their first list was fifteen, and then the ICH got involved, and for a number of years there was massive disagreement between the USP and ICH as to what that final list should be. Eventually, it became 24. So very clearly, within the pharmaceutical industry, there was a lot of discussion and a lot of disagreement about, about what that list should be. Because, because the big stick has not come to the cannabis industry, um, and I'm sure the FDA are monitoring what's going on, but each state is being allowed to do what they want. And I think 
it's important to know that some states are proactive. For example, New York State has nine elemental contaminants in its list. Um, so, uh, I mean, why does New York State think that an additional five elemental contaminants besides the big four are worthy of consideration, whereas the majority of other states just regulate the big four? Um, while some others, um, some others, including states like Maryland and Michigan, um, will add um, a an important element like chromium. And Michigan, for example, adds um, nickel and copper to its list. So the question is, why do some states think that more elements are worthy of consideration, but other states are just happy with the big four? And I would say that it's because they, they value the revenue coming from the huge, um, you know, the huge amount of money that the cannabis industry is generating for those states, and they're not they're not willing to upset the apple cart. I mean, that's all I can think of because I've published um, I've published so much on compelling evidence that up to fifteen and maybe more elemental contaminants are worthy of consideration. Because if you look at the the cultivation process, you look at the extraction process. You look at the production process. You look at the um, you look at the packaging process. You look at the delivery process. There is compelling evidence, very persuasive evidence out there in the public arena that maybe fifty and up to twenty elements are worthy of consideration. Why? Why? Why the cannabis industry is not looking at this? Um, I think it's only when the big stick comes along and the FDA, you know, mandates them. Will the cannabis industry be, be forced to do that? And that's all I can think of at the moment. It's uh, interesting that you bring that up. I mean, um, cannabis uh, is actually a very well-known bioaccumulator. So like other bioaccumulator plants, um, it, they, they uptake quite a bit of potentially toxic metals and heavy metals. But when you start getting into like measuring things like copper and chromium and mercury and things like that, part of the, the suggested regulations for 232 was speciation. And I know that the pharmaceutical industry ultimately won against uh, having to do speciation for it. But uh, do you think that's an issue that's going to come up with cannabis about the need to speciate? Do you even think it's needed to do speciation for things like chromium and and so forth? Well, um, okay, the pharmaceutical industry does have an option. Um, if the if the total, for example, um, mercury and arsenic are the two elements which are most concerned with regard to speciation, and the 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 the, the pharmaceutical industry has a requirement in both two thirty two and 2232, that if the total um, elemental composition of both arsenic and mercury are, are exceeding the PDE limit, um, they suggest that you speciate to find out, for example, if, it, if the arsenic is present as inorganic or organic arsenic, or if the mercury is present as total mercury or methylmercury, which is the organic form of mercury. So there are procedures within both 232 and 2232 for doing that. Um, but they're generally not brought into the equation because um, the majority of the measurements that are being carried out are showing that the total 
elemental composition of those two elements is below the daily PDE limit. Um, at this present moment in time, the cannabis industry is not even looking at that. They're not even referencing the speciation requirements of the pharmaceutical industry. But in my opinion, long term, that has to come into play. And other elements, other elements in the, um, in different species, chromium, for example. Um, I mean, we know that hexavalent chromium is particularly toxic, whereas trivalent uh, chromium is, I mean, it, it, it's not innocuous, but it's not so toxic. So at some point, if you believe there's chromium present in your cannabis or hemp consumer product, um, it makes sense to speciate and to find out if it's hexavalent or trivalent. Um, but the cannabis industry is so far away from that requirement at the moment. Um, if if you could if you could tell me that all 37 states that have heavy metal regulations for cannabis and hemp, only a small number, probably five or six, have a requirement for chromium. If if you if you told me that um, those five or six would maybe have um, you know speciation limits for chromium, I would say great. But at least least at get let's let's at least get the other 31 or 32 states uh, that don't have chromium in their regulated list to include it. And I'd be happy with that. But in answer to your question, uh, speciation is eventually going to be a requirement. There's no question in my mind about that. So how, uh, when you speak to people in the cannabis industry, um, I, I know you're an educator and you're a consultant. Are you finding that the learning curve is uh, one of the stumbling blocks or is it the financial cost of implementing? Because in, in up till now, well, up until recent years, they were only really concerned about potency, pesticides and solvents, basically, with a few other things thrown in. So now this is kind of like a, a, a new world for some of them that's been kind of imposed within the last couple of years. Do you find that it's an educational piece that's that's um, a stumbling block, or is it a financial piece to implement a new piece of equipment? Particularly, we're talking an ICPMS usually, so... Uh, which do you think, or do you think it's a combination of both? Where I, I think I think it's a combination of everything there, Paddy. Um, I don't think there's any question that um, some states are very proactive. For example, some states don't have heavy metal regulation, so work that out. Why they think that there's no requirement or no need to have heavy metal regulation, I won't tell you what states those are because I won't embarrass them. Um, but it, it's absurd that some states do not have heavy metal regulations. But I, I think I think it's fair to say the momentum is towards expanding that elemental uh, that elemental panel. For example, NIST is coming out with a hemp certified reference material for 13 toxic elements. It should be out this time, this year sometime, I'm not too sure when, because they're just going through the development of it. But that will include 13 toxic elements and, for example, including uranium. So um, we know that hemp that is grown in parts of the U.S., particularly in the western region, where there's uranium mines or maybe old DOD, DOE sites, um, that we know there's quite high levels of uranium in the soil. So if the hemp is taken from those areas, absolutely guaranteed it will have uranium in it. And, in fact, the data that I've seen, the early data from the NIST hemp CRM showed that it 
contains up to half a ppm uranium. And that's significant. Um, but also, I sit on an um, ASTM um, D37 subcommittee, um, and we're in the process of writing a new method, ICPMS method, for up to 21 elemental contaminants in cannabis and hemp consumer products. We're going through the review and approval process at the moment. So um, we have NIST um, that have 13 elements in a hemp CRM. Uh, we have ASTM with a ICPMS method for up to 21 different elements. And as I mentioned earlier on, USP are coming out with compliance to, for um, CBD that's used for federally approved drugs for up to 24 elemental impurities. So I think the momentum is towards expanding the panel, but it's slow. I mean, it's definitely slow. Uh, again, I can't emphasize, um, you know, more than enough that uh, the pharmaceutical industry was very slow until the FDA came along and they mandated the requirement. So it'll it'll happen with the cannabis industry. I hope they I, I I hope they realize in the interim period that they have to slowly move towards an expanded panel because if the FDA comes along and really looks um, I think they will look very critically and very negatively at the way the industry has been regulated for the first five years of its growth. Well, just so we can mention, uh, Spex's uh, company NSI Lab Solutions actually does have heavy metals and hemp as a as a CRM. So that's if, great. Uh, yeah. So if people aren't waiting for the um, for for NIST to come out with their standard, then we do uh, we do actually have hemp products and hemp matrices with all different things, including including the metals as well. I think we're going to invite you back to talk more about vapes. I know you're do, you're doing a lot of work with vapes and you're doing a lot of work with the cannabis industry. So I think we'll invite you back. Would you be willing to come back? I'd love to. Talk love, with absolutely. Us? Yeah. I, yeah. You could dedicate a whole podcast to vapes. I can tell you that now. I think we're going to, that's exactly what we're going to do. So I'd like to thank Rob Thomas for joining us and we will be talking to you again and we'll hear from you again in another Spec Speak Science. Thank you, Patty. Thank you, John. Appreciate it. Specs Speak Science is presented by Specs. We provide quality assurance and research tools for the analytical life science community. Our mission is to support scientists for a safer tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating the podcast and subscribing for future installments. Similar content such as application notes, research studies, webinars, and more can be found at specs.com. Thank you for listening to Specs Speak Science, and we look forward to bringing you future episodes.